Good morning. What a wonderful start of our day. Praising the Lord. Well, open your Bibles to John 7, verse 11 through 13. John 7, verse 11 through 13. Which will launch out us on an exploration as we investigate an important topic. A topic that I think most of us aren't usually focused on. We're not usually looking at this topic. And I've entitled this message, Whom Do You Fear? So as we begin, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you. We honor you, Father. Father, I ask that you give us a holy awe of who you are. Help us to be zealous for you. Walking in the power of the Spirit for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, John 7, 11 through 13 says this. And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, talking about Christ. No, others said he is leading people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. So we can see from our context here that there is a lot of confusion about Christ. There is a lot of confusion about who Christ was. Some were saying he was a good man who was brought down from God, while others were saying, no, he's a false teacher. He's leading the people astray. And if we look back at verse 11, it says that they were all muttering about him. And the word here for muttering in the Greek is gangutso, We talked about this word a couple of sermons ago, which can mean to grumble, or it can mean to whisper. And it looks like from the context that John is saying that there was a lot of talk about Jesus. There was a lot of quiet conversations about Jesus. A lot of whispering was going on with one another about Christ. Some were grumbling, yes, but others were lifting Christ up speaking positive about him, but all of them were doing so quietly, whispering. The question is, why? Why were the people whispering about Christ? What was the big deal about speaking about Christ out loud? It wasn't like they were sitting in a library where their voices need to be quiet. As Casey mentioned last week, this was the Feast of the Booze, and they're out in the public square all celebrating and talking so they could talk out loud about Christ. But let's read again what the problem was. Let's look back to John 7, 11 through 13. And it says, And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He is a good man. Others said, No, he's leading people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. It was fear. The people were fearful of the Jews. And in John, often the Jews refer to the religious leaders, the Pharisees. So the people were fearful of the Pharisees. And if we look back to John 7, 1, which tells us the Jews, the Pharisees, were seeking to kill Christ. So these Jewish leaders weren't pacifists by any means. They were aggressive. They would try to have those killed who got in their way. Those that challenged their power and their authority. We see this with the death of Christ. The pressure they put on Rome. The 
pressure they even put on Pilate to murder those who posed a threat to their little kingdom that they made. So this was a real and present danger for those who crossed the Pharisees. Verse 13 again says, Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. But thankfully, today things are different, right? In our country, we have freedom to worship God openly. So we don't have to deal with this problem of fear anymore, right? That's not an issue. This problem of fear that is described in the Bible is out of date. It was a cultural issue of their time. It's out of style. We are beyond archaic problems like fear, right? I mean, think about it. People can only insult us. Or they can only make fun of us for our faith. But that's just silly words, right? Words don't mean anything. I remember a song. I think I made this song up growing up. But it said something like this. Sticks and stones. Oh, maybe I didn't make it up. Sticks and stones may break my bones. But what? Words will never hurt me, right? I mean, we're Americans. We are strong. We are tough. We don't care what other people think about us, what others say about us. We aren't worried about what other people's opinions are, right? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What did you say about me? Wait. Why would you think that about me? I think you're taking what I said out of context. I didn't say it that way. You're going to judge me on that? Scripture says reckless words pierce like a sword. The reality is we do care what pe- how people view us, how people perceive us, which leads to point number one. Fear of man is a human problem. Point number one says that fear of man is a human problem. It may be called peer pressure, with children or teens. But as we get older, it's called things like people-pleasing or approval addict or codependency. But biblically, it's just called the plain old fear of man. When we consider the fear of man, we may be thinking about the shy types, the introverts, the timid ones. But I wonder if we think of ourselves. Do we see the fear of man as another person issue? Or do we see the fear of man as a problem in our own lives? Men, do you see the fear of man in your life? I mean, why do you think we have a hard time stopping and asking somebody for directions? Right? I mean, most of us aren't. Natural-born homing pigeons. We may not even know where we are at. We may not even know which state we're in anymore or which hemisphere anymore, right? But by golly, we aren't going to admit we're lost. We're going to be driving next to our spouse and saying, "Hun, we're just taking a long detour on this one, right? Or ladies, what about you? I don't want to leave you out. Do you struggle with the fear of man? Well, after church, we're going to have a potluck. And some of you ladies won't be there. You know why? Because you forgot to bring your dish. Or you 
just didn't know there was a potluck today. So you will not be caught dead going to a potluck when you don't have a dish to give, right? I mean, what are people going to think about you coming to a potluck without having your dish, right? That's the fear of man. That's the fear of man. Ed Welch in his book called When People Are Big and God is Small, he has a section where he discusses the various ways fear of man plays itself out in our lives. So I just want to look at a few of those right now. Number one, and these are going to be on the screens behind us so you can write them down as well. You may struggle with the fear of man if you are overcommitted. Number one, you may struggle with the fear of man if you're overcommitted. Do we have a hard time saying no to people? Do we worry about letting people down so we say yes to everybody? The fear of man is all over that problem. Number two, you may struggle with the fear of man if you need something from your spouse. You may struggle with the fear of man if you need something from your spouse. Do we need our spouse to listen to us? Do we need our spouse to respect us or love us? Do we feel like we really depend on our spouse for encouragement or just to make it through the day? Well, obviously, we do want a good marriage where we honor and love one another, but we can't act like we can't be who we are called to be because our spouse isn't giving us the love that we think we need or the respect that we want or the honor. This leads to pleasing the spouse because we want something in return, and that's usually called selfishness in the Bible. We end up depending on our spouse as we are called to depend on God. The fear of man is at the center of this marriage. Number three, you may struggle with the fear of man if self-esteem is a critical issue. Number three, you may struggle with the fear of man if self-esteem is a critical issue. Are we always needing to be affirmed or encouraged by others? Is self-esteem something that seems to be an important issue that continues to come up in our lives? Chances are we are controlled by what other people think about us or how others view us. Fear of man is behind those that are desperate to feel important who chase after things like self-esteem. Number four, you may struggle with the fear of man if you don't have close relationships with others. Number four, you may struggle with the fear of man if you don't have close relationships with others. Maybe we have a lot of acquaintances, but no one really knows us. They really don't know who we are. We keep everyone at a distance at bay for various reasons. Maybe we are afraid that people won't like us or that people will hurt us or that people will find out that we're some sort of imposter. So instead of dealing with the risk and being vulnerable, we just isolate ourselves, keep everyone else at bay. Fear of man is at the center of this problem as well. Number five, you may struggle with the fear of man if you are easily embarrassed. You may struggle with the fear of man if you are easily embarrassed. It usually means that the opinions of others control us. They define us. So we act or say something when we know it'll be received well by our peers. Fear of man is the root of this issue as well. Number six, you may struggle with the fear of man if you are jealous of others. Number six, you may struggle with the fear of man if you are jealous of others. 
Do we look at others with eyes of envy? Or do we hope that others fail to feel better about ourselves? Are we comparing ourselves to others or other family members or friends? The fear of man is behind comparing ourselves to other people. Finally, number seven. You may struggle with the fear of man if you are domineering Easily angered, overly competitive, super confident, trying to always show your way is correct. Let me say that again. You may struggle with the fear of man if you are domineering, easily angered, overly competitive, super confident, trying to always show your way is right. And I really obviously should have broke each one of those up, but for time's sake, I had to just sort of lump them all together. But again, these all show at the foundation, at the root, is usually the fear of man. So what do we conclude about the fear of man this morning? Ed Welch says this, Fear of man is such a part of our human fabric that we should check our pulse if someone denies it being an issue in their life. Fear of man is a universal human problem. Since we are all human in this sanctuary, guess what? We all struggle with the the fear of man, every one of us. So you may be thinking, okay, Terry, Okay, I'm convinced. I see this whole fear of man thing. It really is an issue of some sort. But how big of a problem is it? I mean, it seems like we could be really struggling with a lot bigger issues than this fear of man thing, right? Well, let's open our Bibles to Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Jeremiah 17, verse 5, starts by saying, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. This trust in man that God's word is talking about refers to the same trust or faith that someone would have in God, which is a worship trust. Scripture says we are cursed when we trust in man. This type of trust should only be directed towards God and God alone, not man. The question is why? Why is the person who is controlled by the fear of man cursed? Well, Jeremiah 17.5, as we read the rest of it, will tell us. Let's read it again in its entirety. Jeremiah 17.5 says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. So when we trust in man, we make people our strength instead of God. And the result is our hearts turns away from worshiping God to worshiping man, worshiping people. And this leads to point number two. Fear of man is a form of idolatry. Point number two says that fear of man is a form of idolatry. Scripture says we can't serve Two masters, which means we can't serve God and something else at once. Similarly, we can't worship both God and people at the same time. This is what we would call idolatry. Idolatry is worshiping anything other than God. This breaks the first of the Ten Commandments, which where God told his people in Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before you. 
whether we worship carved images or people, it's still all idolatry. It's still the same. Although it is much more subtle to be a people pleaser than to bow down to golden idols, right? It's similar to what we find in the Ten Commandments, just a few verses down, where Scripture talks about the consequences of practicing idolatry. It says this in Exodus 25. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, talking about idols, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me. So idolatry is so serious that future generations that worship idols are cursed by God, it says. Is the fear of man an idol that we may be handing down to future generations? What are we teaching our children? What are we teaching our grandchildren? Is it to worship God? Or is it to worship people? God sees below the surface. He looks deep within our hearts. He gauges our motives and he knows what we worship, what we are living for, right? I wonder if our hearts are running, chasing after the approval of other people. Maybe it's our friend. Maybe it's a spouse. Or maybe it's our parents. Or maybe it's our children. Scripture says that when we're desperate, for people to like us, to think highly of us. We are living in the fear of man, which means our hearts are controlled by people instead of living for the glory of God. Where do we get our approval? Who we look to for approval reveals who we worship. Who are we worshiping this morning? Is it God or is it someone else? I must confess, as I preach this sermon, that I've been the poster boy, I would say, of fear of man. It's ensnared me early on in my life. As I mentioned a few sermons ago, I was raised in a legalistic household, and I was trapped by many different fears in my life, and I was entangled in the fear of man. And I would say this, that I had to finally face it about three years ago, honestly. And it started when Pastor Casey came to me, And he said, you know, Terry, we're both pastors here. We're working together, but I really need you to start preaching alongside with me. And I sort of contested, and I told him, you know, Casey, this isn't really my gifting to preach. I've never done it before. I'm a biblical counselor, not a teaching pastor. God God hasn't called me to preaching. And I tried to make any excuse that I could come up with, but finally God gave me no choice. I mean, Casey is a stubborn guy. So I did it. But there were some strings attached. You know, Casey graciously helped me through the first sermon. But I told him, if I do the sermon, you're going to have to come up here with me and we're going to have to do it together. So we both preached my first sermon together, standing up here. Actually, we were sitting, I think, in chairs. But I ask you this morning, what caused me to have... So much fear to speak in front of people. As the time, I was more scared to preach than die. What caused such panic, such anxiety? The answer, the reality was, I was controlled by the fear of man. I was hung up on the dreaded what ifs. 
you know, I thought, when I come up here, what if I lose my place in my notes? Or what if I start to st- st- stutter, right? What if I lose my voice? What if I say something that is wrong? What if I speak heresy from the pulpit? What if I fail? What if the congregation rejects me? What if they start throwing Bibles at me? Well, not Bibles. You guys, no, not, I didn't mean Bibles. You're too spiritual for them. be bulletins, right? Or something like that. Or what if I pass out? What if I literally get so frightened that I fall down dead and actually die of fright? I really did struggle with many of these what-ifs in my heart for a long time. But I wonder if we're starting to see the problem behind the fear of man. If we're starting to see the roots of the fear of man. What's below the surface of the fear of man? Who is the fear of man really about? This leads to point number three. Fear of man drives us away from God and takes us deeper into self. Let me say that again. Fear of man drives us away from God and takes us deeper into self. Fear of man takes us inward. It's like diving down in the ocean. We can keep swimming deeper and deeper. Fear of man does just that. We can go deeper into self. We, we can think more about self. We can become more sensitive to self. We can be more consumed with self. When I'm worried what other people think about me, or when I'm frantic about my house being spotless when company comes over, or when I'm embarrassed when the children act out in public, or when I'm jealous of my neighbor's good fortune, or when I serve because I want people to think highly of me, or when I am on cloud nine because I just received a compliment, or when I avoid certain people, you can be sure that I am controlled by the fear of man. Fear of man looks like I'm sacrificing everything for others, But in reality, fear of man is self-serving, and I'm sacrificing everybody else, including God, for myself. The fear of man is a sin that drives us inward instead of outward. The fear of man builds us up in self instead of loving others. The question is, why does it seem that the fear of man is an overlooked sin in the church? Why is does it seem like the fear of man is an overlooked sin in the church? Well, I would say there's probably three reasons for that. You can jot these down. They're going to be on the screens behind you. But the first reason the fear of man is overlooked in the church is because it is an unknown problem. The first reason the fear of man is overlooked in the church is because it is an unknown problem. You don't know what you don't know. Some of us this morning didn't realize the fear of man was that big of an issue until we started hearing this sermon. So we can't be working on something that we don't know is a real issue in our life. Number two, the second reason the fear of man is overlooked in the church is because it is camouflaged. The second reason the fear of man is overlooked in the church is because it is camouflaged. The fear of man is hard to see. The fear of man isn't an obvious sin like lust, murder, or lying. The fear of man is hidden. It goes unnoticed because it works in the seemingly best of people. The fear of man is often what drives people to be the greatest servers. The fear of man often works in the heart of the people who seem like they're the most encouraging in the church. 
the fear of man is often what is working in those who seem to be the most mature in the Lord. On the surface, this person looks so godly, so loving, but below the surface, the fear of man drives this person. They are really loving others, serving others, encouraging others, giving to others because they are really living for themselves instead of God. Fear of man is driven by selfish motives, a focus on self, a love for self, and a heart that is rebelling against God. Third reason the fear of man is overlooked in the church is because it is a common struggle. The third reason the fear of man is overlooked in the church is because it is a common struggle. The majority of us us struggle with this problem. Many of us struggle with the fear of man on a daily, moment-by-moment basis. And because we are so familiar with it, so used to living with it in our own life, it's easy to overlook it in other people. Ed Welch says this, Since all of us are affected by the fear of man, At one time or another, we are almost sympathetic towards such behavior. The shock, the horror, the clarity of the darkness of the fear of man seems to be a little less heinous than the sins that are not as prevalent or as common in our lives. How serious have we taken the fear of man in our life? Have we realized that it is a sin against God? Have we lived as if the fear of man isn't that big of a deal? So the next question is, how do we deal with the fear of man? How do we begin to eradicate the fear of man in our lives? What's the solution to the fear of man? Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Jesus says this to people who were afraid to death of being persecuted again by the Pharisees. Jesus says, don't fear those that can kill the body physically, but fear the one who can kill the body and send our souls to hell. I wonder how many of us know the fear of God this morning. How many of us know that we would be in utter fear, utter terror, utter Dread, utter horror, awe, amazement, all at once if we are in the presence of our holy, sovereign God. Which leads to point number four. The solution to the fear of man is the fear of God. Point number four says the solution to the fear of man is the fear of God. To get out of the trap, the snare, the fear of man is to know who God really is. To know that he is glorious and that he is awesome. John Calvin said this, that dread and amazement always occurs when holy men are struck and overwhelmed whenever they're in the presence of God. Fearing the Lord, this is what he's really saying, fearing the Lord is natural to those who really get a glimpse, who really get to know God for who he is in Scripture. Let's turn to Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5 gives us a great example of this where Isaiah has a vision of the Lord. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5 says this. 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And the one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Verse 5, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah got a clearer, a more accurate, a better, a higher, a larger view of God, and it led him to tremble in fear, in awe of this holy and magnificent God. We can also see that it showed the reality of how sinful he was as well. Let's look at it again, verse 5. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. God's holiness, his purity, his righteousness revealed how dirty, how sinful Isaiah was compared to our magnificent God. I wonder if we're often overwhelmed, undone over God's holiness. If we see how perfect, how awesome, how majestic, how great, how big he is, and how insignificant, how little, how tiny, how sinful we are even as believers. When we know the fear of the Lord, then our fear of man begins to shrink. When we know the fear of the Lord, our view of God becomes bigger and our view of people becomes smaller. In other words, the fear of the Lord trumps all other fears, including the fear of man. And this fear of God is not just trembling. But it leads to reverence, to be in awe of him. It leads us to having the right view of God, which leads to authentic and true and right worship of God. Which leads to point number five. The fear of the Lord frees us to love others instead of need them. Point number five says, the fear of the Lord frees us to love others instead of need them. When we fear people, we need them too much to love them. When we need them, we are always looking to get something back from them. This leads to all sorts of dysfunction and problems because people can't be God. All false substitutes will always let us down. They'll never deliver. They'll lead us astray. But scripture shows us, right, that God is the one who gives us everything we need. Amen. Psalm 34, 9 says this, Fear the Lord, you his people, for those who fear him lack nothing. God will fill us. We don't rely, depend on others to fill us. We recognize it is God and God alone who takes care of us and gives us everything we need. So we stop using people. We stop trying to get affirmation. We stop fishing for compliments. We stop trying to be liked. We stop expecting. We stop wanting. 
We stopped needing people, but now we are free to just love and serve them. 1 Peter 1.3 says this, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for a living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. So through Christ, we have everything we need, and now we can put others truly above ourselves like the scripture tells us to, because Christ has given us everything we need in this life to glorify him. The vertical relationship the vertical relationship that we have with Christ continues to fill us up as we continue to pour ourselves out in our horizontal relationships with others. Let me say that again. The vertical relationship we have with Christ continues to fill us up as we continue to pour ourselves out in the horizontal relationships with others. The fear of God brings me out of self while the fear of man draws me back to self. The fear of God frees me to love others as God has freely loved me and has freely loved you. So I ask you this morning, have you considered the issue of the fear of man? Are you a people pleaser? Do you struggle with pride? Are you struggling with peer pressure? Do you compare yourself to others? If you do, you struggle with the fear of man. How many of us are more fearful of what God thinks about us than what others think about us? Are we more focused on pleasing God or are we more focused on pleasing other people? Are we more focused on getting what we want from others or are we more focused on obeying God's word? Our real need is to be reconciled to God which has been made possible thanks to Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, in conclusion, some of us for a long time have made people big and God small. Many of us have lived under the bondage of the fear of man. We have been, may, may have been desperate for people's approval. We probably have struggled with jealousy. We needed people more than we loved them. Worst of all, many of us have been more fearful of people than God. We have worried about what others have said more than what God has said. We have trusted in men instead of trusted in the almighty, sovereign God. God's word says, David, King David, who had numerous people wanting to kill him, said this, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves up against me all around me. We can repent of the fear of man today and walk in the fear of the Lord. God is greater than our fear. God is bigger than our sin. God's grace through the blood of Christ calls us to himself this morning. He reconciles sinners like us, insecure sinners like us, fearful and selfish Christians like us, and gives us grace through faith. And he encourages by the power of the Holy Spirit to repent of such sins. May we be a people, may we be a church who walks in the fear of God the love of God, in faith in God instead of the fear of man. Let's go to him in prayer. Holy Father, as we think about the fear of man and the fear of God, it just seems these subjects are so unspoken in your churches. 
not mentioned often, talking about the fear of God, how we need to have a holy fear of you. And that holy fear motivates us to live for you, to be in awe of who you are, instead of being controlled by other people. But Father, help us not to run to the fear of God because we just don't want to be controlled by people. Help us to fear you because our lives are called to glorify you, that we're supposed to live our lives diligently seeking to be holy like you. Help us to be faithful to you because we are supposed to be spent daily for your glory, on your glory, because we are bought with the blood of Christ. Help us to be people like that. Help us to walk in the power of your spirit. We love you and praise you. In Christ's name, amen.